now I'd like to welcome our guest preacher, Doug Price. It's been a, a blessing for Ron and I to be able to be here off and on throughout the winter and this spring and join you for worship and had a chance to share a little bit. And I appreciate the opportunity to come and bring God's word to you this morning. I want to stray a little bit from the normal routine and just make a couple comments before we do our scripture reading. And I, I just want to say to you all, um, you know, it's been a neat thing from a little bit of a distance to see what God has developed here in Cave Creek. Steve and I, as many of you have heard, have known each other since he was in second grade and I was in third grade. And uh, we, I lived, grew up in Lake Havasu City where my dad pastored. Their family moved into town about two months after ours. So Steve and I have known each other forever, it seems. I was pastoring back in Ohio and Steve pastoring out here in the West and I remember when he shared with me a sense of feeling called to start a church in Cave Creek. And I remember him and Donna moving up here to the community. And I know everything didn't go exactly as he had thought it might initially. And I can recall times where we prayed together, times where we were up in the middle of the night talking about this church ultimately. And I remember being at the first meeting, kind of a meeting of information where people came together to talk about the possibility of forming this group here. And it's just really gratifying to me and to Rhonda to be able to come and see what God has done over a period of, I think, about eight years, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I was actually beginning a new pastorate in Ohio about the same time that this church was formed. I just thank God for the way he continues to work. You know, in the East, in the West, in the Midwest, I go down to Honduras, doesn't matter where you go, God is at work. And people are being drawn to faith in him. And communities of faith are developing. And it's just a, a real blessing to me to come and to see all of you and to see what God has done here in this community. And I know for Steve and Donna, it's been a great blessing to have a church to serve, serve in. So thank you for being such a great congregation for them to serve and to lead. Also, I want to say this morning... My message this morning is not a traditional Mother's Day message necessarily, but I want to make a couple comments about mothers. Um, you know, Steve and I both grew up with mothers who taught us about Jesus and who highlighted God's Word. I can think of so many times in my home where a new verse would appear on the mirror or on the refrigerator. Did any of you not live in homes like that? You know, all, all of a sudden there would be... Um, a, a new scripture. And, and mom, you know, my dad passed away in a drowning accident. It will be 28 years on June the 1st. But my mom is now 84 years old, continues to be a spiritual inspiration to our whole family. And I thank God for the difference that mothers make. Many of you are mothers who are making a difference and encourage you to be faithful. My wife has been a wonderful mother to the two children that we adopted. I shared a story here a couple months back about our children. They were half grown when we got them, and they've been quite a challenge in our life. Everything hasn't always gone the way that we hoped that it would, but I thank God for the mother that my wife has been, and now a grandmother to the seven grandchildren that we have. So mothers, I just want to encourage you today and say that you have an amazing, important job. Most important job I think God grants anyone is to be a parent. And so I encourage you to take that role seriously. You know, it comes with heartaches and it comes with great joys. But continue to be faithful. And I know that God will use you 
uh, in your home. Well, with that being said, today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. And in addition to your own Bible, you can find this in the back side of your message notes in your bulletin. And if you're able, we're going to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10 and then referring to the rest of the passage later in my message. As Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I know that over the last couple of weeks, and I've been able to be here the last couple of weeks, I know Steve has reminded us that Easter is something to be celebrated all year round. And so an Easter theme has been continuing here in the life of the church, and I'm really going to continue that this morning a little bit too with this passage. Um, the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, the fact that he died on the cross, and the fact that he rose again is an amazing story that impacted the whole world and that impacts my life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's made a difference in your life as well. In this passage, it begins with a very stark proclamation, one that we're not, you know, excited about or comfortable with, but it proclaims, as Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, he says, you were dead. And he would say to us today, you were dead. Now, not physically. We're, we've been walking around now, me, for now 59 years. Some of you for more, some for less. But it says that we were dead through our trespasses and sins. The reality was that before Christ, and before we came to know him, we were dead spiritually. We were separated from God. It says there that we were following the course of this world. You know, all of us are following a course, are following a path. Some of you know Steve and I ride bicycle. He kind of got me started on it. And so when I'm out here once a week or so, we'll get together and we'll ride. Many of you know that we rode together down to Mexico uh, back in February. But when I, I'll often come up here because he's a little busier than I am right now, and I'll say, where are we going to ride? Well, we set a course. Now, his practice is to ride 
up into the hills. He, he wants to take me up to, I don't know if any of you know where the totem pole is, but he likes to ride up there, and I'm, he's trying to kill me, I think. It's 12 miles straight uphill. I tell him, no, let's go down to Cave Creek Road. Let's ride where it's, where it's flat. You know, let's make this a little bit simpler. But we all are setting a course. Our life is on a course or on a path. Just as we decide where we're going to ride, each of us have made decisions about what we're going to do in our life. The most important decision that we will ever make is what will I do with Jesus? The story of his life, his death, and his resurrection is meant to be life-changing, is meant to give our life purpose. So he says we were following the course of this world. We were following the wrong path. We were on a path of doing our own thing. He tells in verse 3 about how we were following the desires of our flesh and our senses. In other words, doing what felt good to us. Doing what just seemed like whatever I wanted to do. You know, we remember the story back in the Garden of Eden, right? Everything was perfect. But there was an enemy, a tempter. And there was a decision to be made. And Adam and Eve made a decision to disobey God. And as a result of that, sin entered into our world. Our earth became cursed. Death physically became a reality. They were cast out of the garden, and we don't live in that garden anymore. We look forward to our inheritance where we will return to the way God has intended things to be. But we still live in a world where we are challenged by an enemy. It tells us here about the reality that there is a ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. So Satan continues to be at work, trying to lead us on the wrong course, trying to lead us away from God's purpose and his plan for our life. But the good news begins in verse 4, and it says, but God. Boy, those are important words. I think I heard somebody say, I love that, and, and I love it too. I love that, but God. When God enters, things change. That word, but, means all of a sudden something new is going to happen. We were in a mess. I often say, you know, I'm nothing but a screw-up. And without Jesus, what a mess my life would be. And in reality, what a mess your life would be. But God, who it says is rich in mercy. And isn't that good news for us? God is not poor in mercy. He doesn't have a little bit of mercy. God is rich in mercy. He has all kinds of mercy. Plenty to share with me and plenty to share with you. I'm thankful that God is merciful. And it says that out of his great love, wherewith he loved us, he has now made us alive together with Christ. Three weeks ago, a lot of folks gathered here, and I wasn't here that Sunday. I was back in Ohio. But we celebrated the fact that Jesus had come out of the tomb, right? Exciting Sunday. Exciting news. And the reality is that Jesus' return to life is a symbol for all of us. He says that just as he raised him up, so he has raised us up with him. And then he has prepared for us an inheritance. And we know there is an eternal home. It says we are going to be seated in heavenly places. or We're going to spend an eternity with him if we choose to put our faith and our trust in him. By grace... We are saved, it tells us in this passage. Um, in verse 7, it says that 
In the ages to come, he can show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. As we walk with him day by day, he extends his grace and his mercy to us. As we stumble and as we fall, I'm so thankful that Jesus' death on a cross has paid the price for my sin, and I can return to him for forgiveness and for mercy and for grace. Does this all happen through Jesus Christ? For by grace we've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. You know, I feel comfortable out here. I grew up in Lake Havasu. I ended up going to college in Indiana. I met my wife Rhonda in Huntington, Indiana, and she was a Buckeye, and I never thought I'd be a Buckeye, but you know how this life happens, you know? And so for the last 40 years, I've been in the Midwest. But we got horses, and I raised Arabian horses out in Ohio. So I come back out here, and I come to Scottsdale, and I feel real comfortable. We no longer have four horses, unfortunately. But, you know, when I was preparing for this message, the Lord gave me this thought. For years, I had horses that made a mess. They are always making a mess. Some of you have horses, right? Any of you have horses? Okay, they are always making a mess, right? And, and do they clean up their own mess? They don't, do they? they? They're not capable of cleaning up their own mess. You know, I would have to go out to the barn and take a pitchfork, or if it got bad enough, get the tractor, and I would be the mess cleaner-upper for my horses. And I thought about that's what Jesus is for us. We are not capable of cleaning up the mess we have made in this life. We can't, you know, one of the things that I've learned after 34 years of pastoring is so many people have this notion that they are going to become better, that they are going to change, that they are going to fix all these messes that they made. And I try to encourage them, you will never do that. You are not able to do that. Jesus is the only one who can clean up the mess that we have made. I do not have the tools to fix the sin and the consequences of sin that have happened in my life. But Jesus can come. And if I will put my faith and I will put my trust in him, he can come along. And the Bible says, though our sin be as scarlet, he can make it as white as snow. Boy, what a blessing that is. Somebody say amen. Man, that's, that is such a blessing. And I'm so thankful that God has done that for me. And I hope that you have come to a point where you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, where you have by faith believed in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and you've experienced this forgiveness and new life that he offers. You know, one of the things, too, that at Easter time I think about, we are always enamored, and rightly so, by his resurrection from the dead. Amazing, supernatural, unbelievable. Jesus, three days in the tomb, and his body comes back to life. But I want to remind you today, maybe as great or greater of a miracle is the 33 years that he lived here in life. You know, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way just like I am, and yet without sin. Pretty miraculous. 33 years of life, and he was the perfect lamb. He was the one without spot and without sin that could rightly then take my place and pay the price for my sin on the cross. We celebrate his perfect life. 
We celebrate the reality that he loved us so much he was willing to take our place on a cross, and we celebrate the fact that he proved he was God as he rose from the dead. And because of that, we gather here today to honor him, to worship him, to remind ourselves of what he has done for us, and to offer ourselves, you know, to him. As Paul writes this passage, he's writing to a church that is made up of two groups of people, two very diverse groups of people. There are Jews in the church there at Ephesus, and there are Gentiles there in the church of Ephesus, two groups of people that lived separately. They did not come together previously, but here in Christ, we see not only was God trying to reconcile us to him, but he also reconciles us to one another. And let me read a little bit more of this. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse 12. It says, remember that you are at one time without Christ, being aliens. We hear that word a lot in our culture today. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where we were. But, there's that word again, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Talking about the Gentiles, you have had this opportunity to join this family of faith. It says, for he is our peace, and in his flesh he has made both groups into one, and he has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. You know, we live in a world, there's a lot of hostility around. There is a lot of division in our world. You know, you don't have to go very far to see people that are at odds with one another, people that can't come to agreement. We have odds because of the color of skin. We have odds because of polit political persuasion. We're at odds because of financial statuses. There are all kinds of things that tend to stand in the way or set us apart from each other. And I want to remind you this morning, Jesus came to give us new spiritual life, to forgive our sin and restore us to our Heavenly Father as His sons and daughters, but that also makes us brothers and sisters with others of faith who are part of His family. I was blessed to serve a church in Lima, Ohio. I've talked to a lot of you. A lot of you have Ohio connections, I find out. Some of you know where Lima's at. Um, but that church is a racially diverse church. And one of the great blessings I had was to meet Curtis Hall there in that church. I served for about seven and a half years. Um, Curtis passed away two months ago. He was a 94-year-old black man. And Curtis was such a blessing to me. And Curtis and I have had many conversations. He is such a person of faith, and I'm so happy for him that he got to go home. And, uh, you know, it's a blessing to think of Curtis in heaven instead of in the circumstances he had here with failing health. But Curtis had such a simple and honest and deep faith, knowing that Jesus was his hope and strength. And I would talk to Curtis about what he may have experienced as a 94-year-old black man and some of the things that he would have been through, divisions that he experienced places he couldn't go, things that he couldn't do. And, you know, Curtis was kind of an illustration of, though there was division in our world, how 
within that church, Jesus had brought things together. And I'm thankful that we have changed in some ways, you know, as a culture. But this message is a message of hope for every person, no matter who you are, no matter what the color of your skin. The Bible says that in, to, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male, male nor female. Sometimes you've heard the expression, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter who you are, this opportunity to receive forgiveness and a new life is available to everyone. And I'm so thankful for that. He is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, and he broke down the dividing wall or the hostility that has been between us. And he abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity. In the place of two, making peace. And he would reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the hostility. And he came and proclaimed peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access, access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus came that we could experience forgiveness, that we could receive his spirit, that his presence could come and live within us. And the Bible tells us that the fruit of his spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Those are the things that God is at work trying to create in our lives. I say so often, we, we try to restore things sometimes, don't we? You all have seen Steve's old car that sits out there on the curb every Sunday morning. Not here this morning, but you know what I'm talking about, the 55 Chevy. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of been restored. You know, he's had it a long time. We take furniture and we try to restore it, or cars and we try to restore it. You know, God takes hearts and lives, and he's at work restoring us. He's at work transforming us, making us into something new. One thing I often think and share, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Some of us are old dogs here, but God wants to come and bring something new to our life and make something new out of us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been here. You know, I accepted Christ when I was four years old. That was 55 years ago. But God is still at work transforming me. And you could ask my wife, and she will tell you, I've got a long ways to go still. <laughs> All right. And, and the reality is, I bet some of you do too. God, through this life that Christ offers to us, as we respond in faith, he places his spirit within us, he creates a new life, and he sets a new course for our life, giving us direction and a new way to go, uniting us not only with him, but uniting us with one another in this family of faith that we call the church. He goes on saying, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I am so thankful to be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, to be a citizen in God's family, to be a member of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. We don't, we don't go through life 
here and there and everywhere, and I've heard Steve talk about this often, but we have a foundation. Christ, it says, has set a cornerstone in the way he lived. In his death and his life, we have a foundation that we can now build upon. It says, in him, the whole structure is joined together, and that would be you and me. And you guys are unique. You don't get caught up in a building because you don't have one. But you recognize the church is the people. You are the structure, and we are together being joined in Christ. And it says that his purpose for us is that we would grow. Don't get stagnant and stale. Like I said, no matter how old you are, there are things to learn, and there are ways that God is still at work trying to shape your life. And the last verse here in verse 22, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God who has come to live within you. You know, recognize that, celebrate that, and live like that. So, Jesus died in our place. He was rich in mercy and extended it to us. He made us a part of his family. He prepared an inheritance for us. He gave us a purpose here in this life to serve him, to allow his spirit to guide us, to be a person that makes a difference by living out a life of love and joy and peace. He has created a foundation upon which we can build. He has given us his spirit to guide us, and he helps us as we continue to grow. I encourage you this morning, grab a hold of this life. By faith, it said, not works, not something I can do to earn it, but by faith in what Jesus has already done, I can take a hold of this life. And I invite you, don't let go. You know, there have been challenges in life. I have had them. You have had them. And there will be challenges in life. Rhonda and I experienced one two days ago. We were up in Sedona, enjoying a beautiful day. I'd been fly fishing and caught a bunch of rainbow trout and brown trout. And it was a great day and it was wonderful. And I was reveling on our way back through Sedona and what a wonderful day it was. And we turned off of 89A onto whatever that road is that takes you out to 17. And we're about 100 feet down that road and the traffic came to a stop and we're sitting there and all of a sudden, kaboom. Somebody hit us in the rear end, you know. Now, thankfully, nobody got seriously hurt, but you all know how it goes. You know, a perfect day that, not ruined, but a perfect day that became less perfect because of an accident that happens. You know, we never know when a problem or challenge is going to come. And I've seen so many people who challenges have come and they've kind of their faith has kind of wavered or their faith has waned. And I want to encourage you today, as challenges come, that's the time to take a closer grip and a tighter grip on Jesus' hand and allow him to lead you and to guide you. Hold on to things less tightly and hold on to Jesus more tightly. The car will come, the car will go. Uh, Ron and I are eternal beings created by an eternal God. We have an eternal home because we're his children, and we're going to hang on to him. I know Steve put a title on this sermon, um, Give Me Jesus, and I invite you this morning to reach out and to renew your faith and your trust in Jesus. Um,
I'm going to close with just this verse, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for this gift of new life offered through Jesus. No matter what course or path we've been on, no matter what difficulties or challenge we've faced, no matter what sin we have fallen into, this gift is available to us by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in Christ, that even right now in this moment, they would reach out to you and be honest about the reality of their sin and confess their sin and invite your forgiveness into their life and trust in what you have done as you shed your blood on a cross in our place to pay for our sin. Thank you, God, for the confidence that we have of an eternal home. Thank you for the confidence that we have of your spirit that lives within us. Thank you for making us sons and daughters of yours, brothers and sisters with one another. Lord, bless us as we take together the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.